Hey everybody, welcome to D20 Questions. Listening to our show gives you hickeys because we're necromancers. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. Just don't tell the wife. Yeah. Right. Uh, I am Zach, uh, the NPC your GM won't let you kill. Mm, plot armor. Uh, <laughs> my name is Law, my alignment is Chaotic Horngry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm NPC, those are my actual initials, and so you don't get to kill me. Okay. Uh, Hammersmith, Dungeon Master, and all of those wonderful things. Ah, normally we introduce yeah. the guests, but you actually did a great job of doing yeah. it I yourself. like it when they take the no, initiative. Perfect. That I means a whole it. different thing on a gaming podcast, too. Personally, <laughs> I prefer games without initiative systems, but <clears> that's me. And we're started. <laughs> now, we go, we've begun. <laughs> Wham! All right, what time are we making here? (laughs) Early stab on initiative right out of the gate. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of which, I want to congratulate you. You are now officially the first people to sit at and record on this brand new table that we have here. I love it. It's all... The table of ultimate gaming nightmare creations. Yeah, I've been following... It's weird because, like, the way people have been chronicling their experiences with, like, the customer service and less than perfect assembly has been, like, all very similar format. And like I'm reading all of them, like oh, which one is this one? I've read this one somewhere, and I'm like, oh no, this is this came out yesterday. Like this is brand new. So everyone's having literally the exact same complaints, and that means a lot about the business. A friend of mine decided to build his own ultimate gaming table, and he mm-hmm. had literally never done any carpentry in his entire life before. Just and a bunch of milk crates. Oh man, and I wish he had chronicled it because the process by which he built this fucking nightmare machine is just too brilliant. I, and it ended up interesting. Like it looks like a, it looks like an old beaten up ch- like chest, you know, with like like brass fixings. And and things like that and it looks really good on accident <laughs> that's the kind of table where you would want to secretly hide like under a leaf or just inside the lips teeth mm-hmm. so sure. that it's actually a mimic that's right perfect. yeah yeah because yeah. it mimics an actual carpenter's work <laughs> <laughs> uh, i could even never... like stick some gum underneath it to mimic the mimic <laughs> stickiness yeah. but that would be gross <laughs> yeah or like cover it with like minwax poly shade to like have that finish but don't let it dry so when people like put their arm on they're literally adhered to it oh there you go there you go minmax poly Min- oh, shade. Minwax. Oh, okay. uh, like yes, Minwax. There's a market for this. There, actually, the Minwax poly shade is used by a lot of paint dippers. Mm. People who like paint just the base colors and then dip it and it does all the shading and shit for you. Minwax, if you're listening, get on that. I'm <laughs> yeah, giving you the Sponsorship, please. <laughs> yeah. Min, Minwax, Minmax. They, should, they really should release a Minmax. <laughs> yeah. That'd be perfect. So, our first and traditional question for all of our guests follows up their introduction of themselves. So let's start with that first. <laughs> Just tell us about what you're doing and uh, your name and all the good stuff. Uh, I'm Nathaniel. I go by NPC on the podcast waves. Mm-hmm. I've uh, been a game designer since about 2001 mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of off and on. I've had my ups and downs with the RPG game design scene. I uh, started doing podcasting a couple years ago and it the bug bit and it bit hard mm-hmm. and it sunk its teeth in and it infected my bloodstreams. And now it's almost all I do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's fair. It's a high um, DC fortitude save on that yeah, podcast. Bike. I failed miserably. And uh, what projects are you working on right now that you're excited about? Uh, well, I've got uh, three podcasts that I'm doing. There's uh, The first one we started with is called Have Movies Will Game. Mm. What we do is we, it's kind of a, the format is about half talking about a movie that we just watched and then half talking about drawing gaming inspiration and how you can recreate the themes of that game at your table. And mm. what systems we think would match that theme best. Sure. Uh, the other one is called Bikers, Dice, and Bars, mm-hmm. which is a play. If you've ever, um, if you were a child in the '90s, you probably remember a certain cartoon, and we 
made a street play. Sharks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally street yeah. sharks. <laughs> uh, that one. We made a play on its name, and it's basically about the intersection between biker culture, geek mm-hmm. culture, and drinking culture, which is something that we started noticing happens a lot here in Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon. For sure. Yeah. So I feel like on the Venn diagram, like that, someone falls into at least two of them. At some yeah. point. <laughs> so we were like, look, we we gotta turn this into something, and then. Sure. It, it is becoming more of an old Portland podcast because I think we spend more time on the podcast talking, bitching about all the aspects of Portland that are dying mm-hmm. than we actually do talking about anything else. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> all the good bars that are going away and the new ones that are yeah, going to place. We've, uh, we're actually wanting to put together a kind of a long-term, a 20-year bingo plan mm. where we put together bingo board with all of our favorite bars on it mm-hmm. and then every time, and randomize it, and then every time one dies, you cross it off. It's <laughs> very fun and depressing. <laughs> but, and the third one's called Hammer Crawl. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, improvisational randomly generated dungeon crawl experience meat grinder like gary used to do back in the day mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i like it just waiting to die yeah <laughs> and and that was a custom version of ODD that you run that on right i started running it at a convention here game store mm. a few mm-hmm, years back mm-hmm. as a pickup game between sessions sure. and i was just uh, i found a generator online that this guy had this one click generate Holmes D and D characters. Mm. So I was like, "What? That? Whatever?" And they were ridiculous. Sure, uh, they were not as ridiculous as they have become in the <laughs> ways that I run since then. But they were just very simple. Like, okay, cool. I'm a fighter. I've got chainmail. I've got a whip and forty seven short bows. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go just lousy with short bows. So it was just I just printed up a stack of them and. Sent them into a dungeon, and the people who sat mm-hmm. down to play were uh, quickly caught on to the concept because the true fun of the game was very immediately revealed when half the party died, mm-hmm. and then we spent 30 minutes with the other half of the party looting their bodies. Nice. <laughs> and we're like, okay, this is what the game is about. Where did all these fucking yeah. shore bows come from? <laughs> Where was he holding them? Yeah, that's a, that's a carrying capacity right there. I like that you took the time to increase the level of ridiculosity. Like, you found this engine, you're like, I could fuck that up more. <laughs> this needs to be worse. There were a few random it. things we started noticing in the equipment list. We're like, okay, why does this character have a bag of pet food? Mm-hmm. Okay, Or <laughs> or why is this... Oh, some yes, of the, the characters were had predetermined backgrounds. We're like, okay, this person's social origin is poor. They Their background is a ballerina, and they're mm-hmm. a wizard. Okay, how... <laughs> Let's just take this. I run already with love it. them. I'm in love with this. And add, we just started adding more and more items to the random generator list, and then it sort of became really ridiculous. I'm, I'm very excited about the <laughs> challenge of getting like here's these three archetypes that have been mushed together, and you have to describe like how yeah. they made like why does this pit fighter have seven scented candles? Like, <laughs> what's the story there? That's wonderful. Yeah. Did you know patchouli is actually the combat scent? <laughs> <laughs> It just, just makes you want to fight. Rage. Yeah, it's, instant rage. It's official. I'm adding that to the Hammer Crawl World Bible right now. <laughs> Patchouli is the combat scent. Patchouli of rage. Yeah, that's that's why basically you just walk down Hawthorne and it just turns into a fucking brawl every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most violent street in town. Yes, most violent street in town. It's like, hey man, you're in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> so, our first question for you is, what was your first experience with tabletop role playing? Uh, that's a, okay, that's a two-pronged answer, because my first experience with tabletop role-playing didn't involve a tabletop. Sure. So, uh, I'll start with that. I was probably eight. Mm-hmm. My... You played it over a series of dogs strapped together, or just... <laughs> 
I like where this is going, <laughs> but unfortunately, no. Uh, we wait. My brother, I was about eight years old, and my older brother was visiting from out of town, and uh, I was basically obsessed with my brother. He was my hero. So, mm-hmm. you know, whenever my brother came to visit, like, yeah, my brother's here. Well, one night, I had bunk beds, and I had the bottom bunk, and he had the top. And one night, he rolls over, looks down, and says, Hey, dude, want to play a game? And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. My brother asked me Obviously. to play a game. I'm going to play a game. And, and I'm assuming Dick's out within the first five minutes. Saying, That's at least how my bunk bed games went. No, no. no it's a no. different role-playing game. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that one probably involves the dogs. But <laughs> the, he, there were no dice. There were none of that. It was really mm-hmm. just him saying, okay, you're a, you're a warrior. You're stepping into a cave. You've got a sword and shield. What do you do? And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And that got hooked. Then I saw his dice and I... Not a euphemism. No. I didn't know <laughs> what the dice did or what they meant. And they mm-hmm. had different sides and it's like different colors. It's like, this is way better than sorry. This is awesome Mm -hmm. some fucking monopoly with your bullshit d6s my first actual tabletop experience was palladium role-playing game Mm -hmm. old school fantasy first edition yeah yeah palladium that came out in uh 78 so it's been around it for a minute at that point maybe yeah if i remember correctly it was originally pitched as like an alternate setting for D and D, and TSR was like, "No, we don't want this." And Kevin's like, "Well, but you made <laughs> yeah. his own gaming empire." Yeah, Palladium Games. Yeah, I uh, w- my first time hearing about role playing games was actually hearing about rifts and what listening to somebody explain with enthusiastic detail. No one explains rifts; everyone attempts to explain, <laughs> <laughs> rifts. and that's what I love about somebody it. embarrassing themselves trying to explain rifts for fucking forty five minutes turns me off of role playing for another year before I finally picked up D and D. Definitely. <laughs> Once again, bringing it back to the beginning, this table was built with the assistance of rifts <laughs> literally it was a, a big old stack of rifts books was part of the trade oh, that i fantastic. gave this guy for helping me <laughs> unfortunately the the one thing yeah. that they that would have gotten me into the idea of playing rifts juicers that explode on death was not mentioned in the initial description which was devastating uh, that, that concept made me so unbelievably happy when i finally heard it. my my first rifts character was a juicer <laughs> it's beautiful mine was a dog boy dog boy mm-hmm. yeah yeah I was a, there was a, an Atlantean and a juicer and some guy with thunder gauntlets. I don't remember all the details. Um, although I will add a quick throw in here because we're going to be talking about a lot of different game systems in this, in this episode, because that's our topic. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about game design, homebrew, and just general, like the balance of systems, things like that. And I have a tendency in this podcast and in other projects that I work in to have um, information recall adjacency, as I call it, <laughs> where if I say, like, I think it was in episode two, I talked about a system that is in play in riffs and, and palladium and stuff, which I, I said GURPS. I know it's not, uh, yeah. but, or I'll talk about an artist, be like, hey, it looks like a uh, Banksy. I'm like, I'm, I was talking about Ralph Baxi, not Banksy, like the very different <laughs> artists. So if that comes up, that's just going to be part of my there, brain working. There needs to be some crossover there. Maybe like some Baxi Banksy slash fiction. Right? <laughs> Ra- Ralph Banksy. Like yeah. it's just uh, elves fighting Hitler on the side of some brick building. <laughs> oh, I want that. So the big starting question that I think is going to kind of get the ball rolling. We have had two starting questions. Here comes the third. <laughs> Welcome Good to D20 questions. Uh, this is the uh, first question, the third edition of the first question. Oh, sure. sure. <laughs> uh, what is, just in general, we don't have to get into meat and bones too much. What's your favorite system? Doesn't have to, it can be like cult following, but just like, what's your favorite system? My, I have two obsessions mm-hmm. and I can't figure out which one I like most. Dungeon Crawl Classics. Mm-hmm. mechanically to me is an almost perfect game 
because it takes the simplicity of rolling the d20, which everyone knows the d20. Yeah. It takes that core foundation of the six stat class level d20 system and just condenses it down to an extremely simple player skill driven kind of game and i love that so much the funnel the the, have you played dungeon world classics so the it's kind of like a a much earlier version of like what is kind of like dungeon world in that it's like this is kind of like the d20 stat system except that one's more like d6 i would say dcc is almost the opposite of dungeon world good to know it is a d20 base it is actually an ogl game and so it's based on third edition right roughly it uses the six stats you have Mm -hmm. characters that have i think up to 10 or 15 levels and you have uh the the three saving throws fortitude reflex will um but then it adds extra dice why because (laughs) it uses this dice step system where Uh for example let's say your standard attack die is a d20 Mm -hmm. however um maybe you're fighting with two weapons okay Well, if your class lets you do something like that, you you now have two attacks, but they're reduced to a D16 to see if you can hit because you're not fighting as well sure, or sure. something along those lines. So for D16, do you just roll two D8s or is it just like, I mean, is there actually a D16? I'm positive there's a D16. Okay. okay. I got a stack of, I got lots of, they're yeah. Zachi dice, I think is what okay. they're called. Anyway, the funnel is this idea where Dungeon Master, let's say mm. you got four players. Each player is going to randomly roll up 3D6 down the line. <laughs> three to four characters at once. Mm -hmm. You randomly determine their background. Like, I am a gong farmer. Uh, Elven apothecary. I am a halfling What's a gong? How do you farm gongs? It's a shit shoveler. Oh, gotcha. See, (laughs) I... I hear gong farmer, and I just hope to God that somewhere in China people are growing gongs out of the ground, and that it just sounds like a fucking exploding, like a yeah, like When a it kitchen. rains, no one sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But yeah, Dungeon Crawl Classic. I've always enjoyed systems that have kind of the dice progression, where literally it's like, the, just the, the better the die potential is literally reflection of your skill in that thing. It's yeah. always always great. My favorite part about the funnel, though, the last word I'm going to say sure, on it sure. is you each make zero level characters, like a group of them. Mm-hmm. You have no control over their initial destiny. But then you gather together these zero-level characters from all walks of life and then feed them to a dungeon. Whoever comes out of that first dungeon, those characters gain character classes based on the events. Like maybe one Uh, discovered ancient writings and became a wizard. Mm -hmm. Or another one discovered, picked up a sword, and now they're the fighter kind of thing. I've always liked the idea that you don't have a class until you've you've earned it. Yeah, there's some great storytelling mechanics you can bring in. It's like, okay, here's a blank character sheet. We're going to run the first game, and by the end of it, it'll be filled out. Um, For me, which you both have heard me talk endlessly (laughs) about this, my favorite system is actually a licensed system, which typically tend to be pretty fucking terrible. But Green Ronin produced these Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. If you want a low fantasy setting where your characters are at risk at any given moment of death and where your physical combat and social combat look and feel exactly the same, you need to play Song of Ice and Fire. It's so mm-hmm. goddamn mm-hmm. good. You take wounds and then they take forever to heal and they can infect and die. And mm-hmm. like it's It's perfect. And death doesn't have to be on the table. Mm-mm. Like your outcome of a failed combat uh, could be ransom, yep. could be capture, could be uh, horribly it, scarred. Horribly they could scarred, cut off yeah. your fucking hand. Loss of honor. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. worse than death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's it's a it's a brilliant game, and honestly, I've been I've been spending an inordinate amount of time trying to turn it into a universal system. Functionally, it is universal for fantasy. I think they call it the Chronicle system. They do, but mm-hmm. everything they've released for Chronicle is garbage. And you can really just you can just work with the Song of Ice and Viral playing system. Plus, it has an amazing house creation system yeah. for like like managing lands and its warfare is surprisingly accurate. 
accurate to real world warf- warfare. If you like Total War, then you would love this game's warfare mechanics. Mm, I love a game with good like real estate mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, please sign me up. Oh, let me fill out the the payment voucher for the servants. Oh, just yes. My shit's in escrow. We actually adapted Song of Ice and Fire to run the game Fading Suns uh-huh. because. Mm. We hated the victory point system that Fading Suns used. Mm. But Fading Suns is, in some ways, Dune with the serial numbers filed off, injected with a whole lot of other space opera concepts as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we were looking at the way it was noble houses and a church and some merchant guilds and fiefdoms and all this stuff just on an intergalactic scale. Yeah. And we're like, we don't need to change anything except... <laughs> Just increase the scale. Like, yeah. if you own a city in Song of Ice and Fire, you own a planet in Fading Suns kind yes. of thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Always wanted a character to own a planet. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Law? What's your favorite? Well, I mean, obviously the one I play the most is 5e, and or mm-hmm. whatever year it is, depending, because I've just played all the editions as they come, kind of. Because uh, it's, it's not just that it's like, you know... It's been done so much and play tested by so many people mm-hmm. that it's it's pretty. I mean, there's it's got problems. Let's not dance sure. around that. But it's a pretty refined system. But the main thing is that it's known. You can sure. go anywhere and find a D and D group, yeah. and that's pretty tasty. But my favorite like system, as far as just like looking at what is interesting to me and kind of similar to things, but off the grid a little bit, is a game I've never actually played. I bought the book in like a Kickstarter years ago, and I've read it a lot, and I love the idea of it, but I've never actually gotten to sit down. And that's uh, Numenera. Mm. Um, and the way it works is there's three stats and there's three classes, but they're all incredibly broad, hmm. but you basically say, uh, it's a might speed and intellect, I think okay. off the top of my head. Um, and it's, you basically, instead of having like a stat in that point, you have a number in that point. So like, say you've got 12 might, that's literally your pool, like your fuel cells, uh, to utilize your abilities hmm. so it's like i have a decapitation attack but it costs me two of my might so for the day until i rest i'm literally depleting <clears throat> my resources in that stat interesting um and the way it's so broad and the magic system is really interesting with like old cursed items that have been in the world for a long time how does it deal with uh say like you deplete your might and you come across something that you want to be able to do like pick something up I it, mean, it, it has like layers of like exhaustion and things like that like mm, uh, okay. conditions of like well you can just do your most basic shit because you are completely wiped out gotcha so you couldn't say you know do too much fighting and then suddenly it's like no nah, man can't pick up that rock right <laughs> like, uh, I, I think it gives you the ability to do very minor things you're not like useless yeah like I said I haven't looked at the system in a minute because I got the book and I was like okay the system looks really cool and I was like this book is like 80% world lore mm. and it's like this like the maps are insane the level of details in all the different houses it was daunting I couldn't mm. couldn't even start to dive in but I was just reading the mechanics over and over I'm like I just really like the way the system plays out so I, is that the cipher system I think they call it the cipher yeah, system okay. and again it's like one of those things I should have read up on before this because mm. like three years ago I would have talked about for hours yeah. <laughs> one of those things that I was going to say pretty good idea for a podcast is just kind of like let's try some weird random fucking thing that we found on Kickstarter mm-hmm. or like just jump in and do it like right. a one-off just let's see what we can make with this totally I like that idea I want to follow up that quote that answer uh, I did mention there were two my yes my second current newest obsession is the Genesis system from yeah. Fantasy Flight mm-hmm. uh, I got into I got really bit hard by Warhammer Fantasy 3rd Edition, which yes. they did. And I have many complaints about it, but I loved the dice. And, oh, and the armor it. system yeah. and stuff. That's the, same really dice. Cool. That's the same dice Fantasy Flight uses for the Edge of Empire. Yeah, and, it's and the, all the, the narrative so dice. Good. Yeah. The narrative. Warhammers don't translate because all those old Warhammer dice are now basically useless because mm-hmm. there's no update to them. But the Star Wars dice, mm-hmm. Legend of the Five Rings, Genesis, all basically use the same dice. Yeah, I was going to talk about narrative dice. So why don't you explain how those work? Yeah, you have these 
proprietary dice mm-hmm. that are like a D6 or a D... There's D6s, D8s, and D10s. And I think there might be D12s. But they instead of numbers, they have symbols on the sides. Mm-hmm. And each die color represents a style of how it's affecting. There's like a threat die or challenge die or a bone... Uh, Banes. Banes and boons. Or, mm-hmm. I forget the terms. But anyway, you roll them. You look at the symbols, and then you divine the outcome based on what symbols are there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like you can succeed at a cost. Yeah. You can you can fail with 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 flourish. You yeah. can do all these different things, and it, it like it kind of like allows the GM a, a framework from which to build mm-hmm. the the results. So it's not about success and failure now. It's about how it happened. Yeah. It, it very much rings true with like this kind of like reading the bone sort of thing because mm-hmm. you're looking at these dots exactly. and being like even the damage can be part of the roll. And if the damage pushes you over the limit of what you need to hit that means it's success or if you succeeded on the other dice but there's nothing on the damage you have to narrate how you did really mm-hmm. well but somehow didn't hurt them yeah. like it's just really good for each turn having a lot of delicious potential for these little story narratives one thing that i see with a lot of games as they try to refine and re- redevelop and like uh, uh, perfect the system is you have a, a, a this balance of crunch versus like fluidity you know, you want a game that's going to be really smooth and simple and straightforward, but you also want something that's going to feel like it has rules, like there's structure to it. Mm-hmm. So that you're not just kind of like cheating your way through a story and just playing pretend with a bunch of friends. I feel like every every iteration of every game has a different blend of these concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth edition is amazing, but it feels, I've heard a lot of people say that it feels focus grouped. Mm-hmm. Like it's been just like refined to hell to the point where they care so much about the balance and the, and the, and the systems and the rules yep. that the rest is just kind of like, it's up to you. You figure it out for the, for the, for ways to flavor it. Yeah. But it's also like, it, I feel like the D5E though is one of the best balances I've seen where it allows flavor to such a degree that you're like, yeah, we don't really have to put that as a mechanic. Right. So how do you draw that line and what versions of that, what, what, what side of that uh, dichotomy do you stand on? Do you prefer something like Fate, where the rules are mostly vague and just there to allow you to play a story? Or do you prefer something where it's hard and clear and structured? Well, there's some parts for me personally where I like the hard, clear structure. Some companies that start a game, regardless of what year it was in, have the issue of being like, well, we're just going to change the game. Like, we're going to have a completely mm-hmm. different system. We're going to ignore the ones that work and don't work and do our own thing. Sure. And sometimes that can cause a horrible, like, level creep. Mm. Like, the, the power immediately turns into, like, well, if you give the ability for a character to somehow just do, like, 100 damage, they're going to figure out how to do it by, like, right. level 2. <laughs> like, it just happens. So you got to watch out for that power creep. But I, I like having it where you can be like, I have an issue happening right now. And there is a page I can look up this issue mm. on. There's an aspect to that that I enjoy. But other times, it's like, let the DM figure it out. As long as you trust them, there's sure. a high degree of trust. And that's something I see a lot of is, is this, this question of how much do we trust each other? Because, yeah, mm-hmm. like, I mean, sure, everybody knows the nightmare story of the players who come in and they fucking ruin everything. They're like, oh, yeah, I could just use these, uh, these what, with the rods, the, this, what, what's the word? Immovable rods. Immovable rods to somehow create, like, a, a gauze cannon out of fucking peasants or something like that. Right. And it's like, okay, well, that's great. Um, but it's not fun and nobody's enjoying that. And the only person <laughs> having fun right now is you. Session zero is important for everyone to get on the same level and have one of the co- basic introductory conversations mm-hmm. of guys, this game has a spirit. This game has a, an intention. Let's make sure to play towards that intention. Like, and that's like, fine. Yeah. But, but in my mind, that's literally you just, that's the game designer passing yeah. the buck to the player. It's like, Hey, you do the hardest part of this game, which is finding a nice balance between storytelling and, and mechanics. I don't think a game should govern the actions, the actual at table actions of the players, because that's a, that's a social group construct. I think mm. that's like the social contract is very important. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I can sit down and play something that is a ridiculously overpowered, hilarious game like Rifts, and sure. we can sit down with a group and say, look, guys, we're going to play Rifts. I want to start a Rifts game, but I want it to be a serious, emotional game. And it can. I want to see you tell me the story yeah. of a Rifts game that feels serious, emotional, and grounded. I mean, the potential for like <laughs> horror and just trauma in the game is really high, so grounded. I could definitely see it. It's really just an post-apocalyptic game with high with uh, super high technology so you could watch something like falling skies or mm -hmm. revolution or any of those shows that have those kind of templates and yeah. just take that and like let's make this dark and that actually brings me back to yeah. the, the suggestion that i find most repugnant and that is the one that everyone gives play a different system if you want x play this if you want this play that but what do you do when the thing you want to play the game you want to play is dungeons and dragons but you want to play it set in a western there's games for that there well, are D&D &D variants and of that. <laughs> sure, sure. And, but that's my problem. It's like, how do, you, how do you make the changes you need to make in order to fit it without breaking the balance? Yeah. Okay, I've got a really long-winded explanation to this. So, how, how brief can you make it? <laughs> well, I want to get back to the question that you posed. First, I want to say, I think that you should always play a system that fits the tone and the feel of what you want to do. Sure. I really don't think you should take Dungeons and & Dragons and play just about any game like a Dungeons and Dragons I don't think it's going to play a movie a game based off the movie Can't Hardly Wait or Empire Records but that's kind of my problem is, yeah. is people can you can make that suggestion all you want they all play a different system but when you want the feeling of Dungeons or Dragons you want that mechanic but you want it in a different setting it doesn't seem like it should be that hard to do well it might not be that hard to do but ultimately that's something that you yourself will have to do because if you're going to ask a question of assistance on an online forum of, hey guys, mm -hmm. how would I accomplish this? How would you accomplish this? Mm -hmm. You also have to be willing to accept the fact that most people are going to give you an answer you don't want to hear. And that's just social human that's interaction. That's just the internet. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's, like, that's the thing. Is like you get you get like uh, Steam forums or somebody's yeah. like, hey, is there any way to make this uh, joystick compatible? And they're like, go play a different game. And they're like, thanks, bud. That was a super helpful that is, answer. That is a dick move. Like, what am I supposed yeah. to do with that? Like, okay. Right. But, but does anybody have a solution? <laughs> like knowing the system well enough that you can jigsaw mm. it. Like, look through the veil of, like, what's on the character sheet and be like, okay, well, here's the skill sections that I'll use for, like, solving problems in a dungeon. How can I make that running a record store business? Like, how do, you, how do I, <laughs> what do I plug in place of acrobatics? It could be, you know, knowledge of 80s rock, like, things like that. I think the answer to that is, really is, to grow your repertoire of known games. Mm -hmm. like, like, some people who refuse to play anything but Pathfinder, and then shave on your Pathfinder, complain that Pathfinder doesn't this, but then they don't want to play anything else. And I'm like, mm -hmm. just go read a book. There's other books. There are re read thousands, <laughs> thousands of other games out there. Yes. And so many people, I feel, seem unwilling to learn new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as a player, okay, I'm, I can understand it. As a player, you don't want to spend the money. But as game master, you're the one who spends the money. Come on, like that's yeah. big fact. Don't be a one game GM unless unless that's your thing and you never want to shift away from it. But yeah. if you do want to try alternate settings, and there's other games out there that do it better, consider trying them. So, sure, no, totally. Yeah. And honestly, that's that's what I've been doing. So yeah. I've been running a Western game, which is what I was mentioning earlier. Uh, and originally, I started with D and D, and it was only once I realized that I didn't really I wanted social function. I wanted it to be like Deadwood, but with magic. <laughs> And so, and I realized that D&D &D was just not going to work for that. But when I was doing it, I was asking Law a lot of questions because he knows D&D &D 5e a hell of a lot more than I do. And my dipshitted ass was just like stumbling around on it. And I, I would show him things. And one of the things you came back
back to me a lot was, I don't think you realize how much changing these numbers will impact. Yeah, it, was like, yeah. it was like, okay, so you've, you've basically taken away armor because all the guns have armor piercing because what the fuck is full plate going to do against a gun? Yeah. yeah. And then there were suggestions like, okay, add grit. You know, fighters just get a certain amount of free AC that instead of armor, it's just they're just better at dodging shit now or etc. You know, you can just say here's a way to add this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite things about homebrewing things and making your own design, like taking a system you love and just tweaking it just a little bit yeah. to fit your needs. I'm not saying you should like take, figure out a way to get full plate into old Texas type sure. of thing, but you should look at the numbers and be like, there's a reason this 16 is very important. How can I give that to them? It's just luck. It's just a dumb luck stat. When the jingling of metal is not in fact spurs, but somebody's full fucking plate Chain mail. mail just. <laughs> this don't necessarily... Won't necessarily give you any uh, mechanical inspiration, but if you mm-hmm. want full plate in the Old West, you need to watch uh, Muse Knights of Sidonia video because it's amazing. I think I've <laughs> seen it because I used to have a worker, that, uh, an employee who was just, yeah. would blaze Muse closing every single night. That video is a basically a Rifts campaign awesome. in a music video. <laughs> Very cool. And, and on the topic of like Western feel in games, like it just kind of uh, pulled me into another question, which I will ask. And then I may maybe bounce into a history check. Ooh. So are there any systems that you can think of that not only have a very specific theme, but the mechanics of the game reflect the theme of the game. And my example is Dogs in the Vineyard Ooh. because you're using these pools of dice and while you're com- competing the challenges, it's an Old West game, but you're literally like anteing up with the dice that you roll. So there's there's a feel that you're like at a poker table with like high stakes like on the board. Literally anything can be a skill challenge, like looking for the cursed object on a table covered in like a whiskey bottle, a Bible, a, a gun, a knife, like which one of these was touched by a demon. You can have an entire skill challenge of you figuring that out where you're anteing up against the DM like well I, I grew up with a guy who was affected by a demon so I have three dice for this and it's all mixes of D8s and D12s so I, it feels like a poker game but you're in an Old West so you've mentioned Dogs of the Vineyard to me several times and I actually didn't realize it was an Old West game well and it's it's Burning Wheel but Dogs in the Vineyard itself is kind of like a, a fantasy clerical Western version of that it may appear that way but Burning Wheel is actually a very trad gaming system mm-hmm. it luke doesn't trad? traditional thank yeah. you <laughs> luke doesn't luke crane the creator of it tries to push his game as some form of specialized art form mm-hmm. he's really pretentious when he comes to his descriptions with burning wheel mm-hmm. okay but burning wheel ultimately Tell us how you really feel please burning Wheel's a fun game it's just got some interesting ideas mm-hmm. and takes on the traditional party mm-hmm. character skill driven gaming method it's very it's very crunchy and very traditional <clears throat> it's actually easy to play once you know how to do it when yeah. i was introduced to dogs in the vineyard I, I read the book and i read this rules and i was like yeah this is like from under the umbrella of burning wheel so i've never actually went Similar back mechanics. from that and been like hey what is actually what, what's the mothership of this well first off i want to say that dogs is an old game it was vincent baker's i think first published game that made him famous mm-hmm. he no longer has it in print. Doesn't publish anymore. I think he's kind of distanced himself so from it. So it's not connected to burning at all. It's just compared no. to it. Okay. Oh, I, this is the information that I love getting corrected on because now I won't sound like an idiot later. <laughs> but, but I just yesterday found mm-hmm. out that Vincent Baker authorized someone else to create a new edition of it. Mm-hmm. A, a generic, quote unquote generic, version of the dog's bidding war mechanic is now available i think it's called dogs and dogs is an acronym for something it's on drive through is it d-a-w-g-z <laughs> <laughs> but but that bidding mechanic system is that was my first introduction to indie games because i was d20 like at that point i was hardcore third edition gamer and then but i was growing angry with it i was a growing disillusion and i could not state why 
And then a buddy, we had now had two sessions of this game that we were going to start. It was me and a couple of buddies, and we kept making character creation, doing character creation, and then it kept failing. Then we kept arguing because we were all kind of pissed off at the way that some things were working. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of the second session, uh, my buddy's like, look, guys, if we're not playing a game in 10 minutes, I'm leaving. And I, I was like, well, I want to go think back in we'll... time and high five. that yeah, person." Yeah. So he throws down dogs in the vineyard and it's like, look, we're just going to play this game. And I fucking hated it so much mm-hmm. until the next weekend. I could not stop thinking about it. And yeah. I realized I didn't hate it. I was putting you hated on that game <laughs> hatred, but that hatred was a personification of my disgruntlement with the Jesus, this, this third is getting edition. Deep. <laughs> And suddenly, I was an indie gamer from that point forward. I, I actually it. sold all of my third edition books. And Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah, I was like, I'm done with this. It doesn't. This no longer does what I want. You went from zero to fuck it. <laughs> Except the Iron Kingdom's books, because awesome. they're awesome. I love that. Um, and it is, it's very difficult to be like, this is so different than what I'm used to. The first impression is to be like, what I don't like about this thing, because it's different. Right. Oh, God, I was... I was angry. Yeah. That was a darker time in my life. I've been there. So I'm yeah. going to throw in uh, a quick little history check here. This one isn't necessarily about game design, but it's a really fun fact, and I think it's neat. Okay. Uh, so are we all familiar with the uh, fantasy race of the Githyanki? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So they appeared in the 1981 Fiend Folio from D&D. Uh, that's their first, like, hey, look, this is a D&D thing now, was in that book. Um, they were first submitted in White Dwarf Magazine as far as getting into fantasy games by a man named Charles Strauss. But... <sighs> The origin Ooh, yeah. of the Gith Yankee is from a 1977 book called The Dying of the Light, written by George R.R. R. Martin. No shit. And he didn't find out until 1983 that D&D had taken it and started using it. And at that point, it, there was no internet. You know, you don't like learn everything. So someone at a convention came to him and with the Fiend Folio and like, hey, look, this is the thing from your book. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> So there was never really any kind of copyright or creative control issues with that because it was like, yeah, it's been three years, whatever. That seems very George R. R. Martin (laughs) style. He's like, he starts something, he's like, yeah, who gives a shit? Game Night Lounge is Portland's first full-service board game bar. With local beer and cider on tap, a diverse bar with clever-themed cocktails, and a menu of unique pub fare. Open seven days a week in Portland's historic Williams neighborhood, with over 700 board games to share with your friends and family for just $5 all-day cover. Minors are allowed until 8 p.m. Visit pdxgamenight.com for hours and information about the unique local business that's quickly becoming many people's best-kept secret. I've been there numerous times. I live, what, like a handful of minutes away? Real close. Real close. And I have spent, uh, like, every time I go, I end up spending way more time than I should there. Um, Honestly, everybody's really friendly, really welcoming. Uh, The food is unbelievably good. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, like, there's absolutely no reason not to go, especially if you love board games and just a a, a nice atmosphere and, and cool decorations and everything. Follow PDX Game Night on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. PDXGameNight.com. That's P-D-X-G-A-M-E-K-N-I-G-H-T dot com. Welcome back, my beautiful tenderlings. This is our first release since the initial launch of D20 Questions. And I want to thank you guys so much for the support you showed. Uh, We got a bunch of Patreon subscribers. We've got reviews for the show. We have people watching and listening, and that is amazing. Honestly, those reviews and listens count more than anything in these first few weeks. So if you haven't already uh, shared it around and given it to your friends, please do so. We are oh so vulnerable in these early stages, and 
we just want to be protected from the elements by the shield of your loving social media embrace. So please, yeah, feel free to share it around. Um, if you have any advertising opportunities, any private messages, or charities or causes that you feel should be mentioned on the show, please reach out to us via email at admin at studios.com. But let's go ahead and return to the show. I love you. Goodbye. So speaking of the theme folio, is there any side book that came out with a system that you think is just solid gold, even if you don't like the system that much, even if you, it's not the player's handbook, dungeon master version, it's a side thing. And it's just, it's tr- a pure treasure at the end of the rainbow. Star Wars D20 was a big pile of shit. <laughs> it was just a big pile of shit. And I know where this is going. I, don't I think you stole mine. Oh no, did I steal yours? No, 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 no. Please, no, I got others. Don't worry about it. Okay, so it was a big pile of shit. However, to this day, Anytime I'm running any Star Wars game, there is one book that I pull out without fail, and that is the Ultimate Alien Anthology. Alien Anthology. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. That shit is too goddamn good. That was the one good. I was going to use. It's too goddamn good. It's so full of like rich, interesting lore about every single race, races you'd never mm-hmm. even heard of, races I never heard of, and I read the shit out of Expanded Universe. And I just like, I couldn't get enough of it. And I still have a copy of it just because I'm like, I might need to whip this out out of nowhere for a random race. Well, like, and they all had pretty, I mean, the game itself was not very balanced, mm. but they all had pretty balanced stats yeah. and they were succinct with their stat mm-hmm. abilities. It's like, oh, this thing can commit pheromones. Here's a like a one sentence thing on how that works. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is like, say what you will about that system. It was better than the saga edition, which they released after it based off of fourth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it they did such a good job of making everything feel like Star Wars. And I don't mean the new age, like fancy ass, like Lucas Star Wars after the fact, right? but the good old fashioned gritty down to earth. Oh, fucking just reading game. like the weapon books and being oh. like, Oh, like here's, here's the kind of droid that IT 88 is like, I can buy yeah. that. Or like this, the, all the famous land ships versus spaceships. Oh, it's cool. So, Jedi's were broken. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, broken as shit. It's the kind of thing where it's like you decide you're going to have a Jedi game or you're not having a Jedi game. Right, and, and I think it. the Alien Anthology and, the, and the, the splat books from that are the reason that me and my high school friends played so much Star Wars D20. Because like, well, we'll figure it out. We'll, yeah. We just want to fucking tell a good Star Wars story. I've got a top three. I'm going to count down. Mm. Jesus. No details in the first pick, two, but pick, we're going to pick, pick the one. final We've one. Got, we're at 45 yeah, yeah, minutes. Yeah. Let's pick one. Uh, <laughs> number three is Rift's Wormwood. And number two is Shadowrun Bug City. Okay. But... The number one is at the four-volume Encyclopedia Magica set from AD&D 2nd Edition. Yes, and those are so hard to find now. I know you yeah. have. No, I mentioned when you posted a picture of your picture of your shelf, and I was like, well, there's $300. You're like, okay, I need a random magic item, and I love random tables. I love random tables. Mm, my players amen. love the look of sheer delight on my face whenever they kill a monster that has magic item treasure. Because mm-hmm. then I pull out volume four, I slam it down, and I'm like, roll me a D10,000. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I have a history of being the chart guy, I, yeah. especially when I was in my 20s. It was the rolling of magic items and shit. It was just this whole ritual. It was this, everyone started chanting and there yeah. was candles lit. <laughs> on that note, I need to ask, how can you make rolling on a random chart not feel like a huge disappointment when it comes up with something that nobody can use? You're, you're designing a game. How do you make that charts feel random and, and, and erratic, but not disappointing. I guess it depends on what the chart is for. Okay. Because, like, if it's for, like, something happened when you cast a spell and nothing mechanical happens, but something really funny does, like, the spell makes a huge fart sound. (laughs) That's just a fun little zinger. But if it's, like, I'm building my character and I have a mutation and it turns out that the color of my eyes is silver and it Mm. doesn't do anything. And someone else got, like, sonic bat ears that can hear through, like, miles and miles of terrain. (laughs) It's like, well, fuck me then. (laughs) 
I too have played Heroes Unlimited. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's gonna go with like Savage Worlds kind of thing too. Yeah, but finding a way randos. to finding a way to balance it, especially so. Let's say you pull out the DMG like three point five, whatever, and you roll in the random magic item charts, and it's like, okay, you get a bow. Nobody here uses a bow. Do you roll again? Do you do you do you just kind of deal with it? Do you sell it? Like, I mean, and then how do you make a player feel like rolling on a chart feels like something they're bu- they have buy-in for? Well, the bow can become part of the story. Yeah, like maybe sure. your parents were killed by someone and when they ran off, all they left was their bow. Sure. And now you have it as a tool to hunt them down with. I think it depends upon the feel of your game. If you're mm-hmm. running a game where the players are expected to overcome every challenge in some way, where all the loot is expected to be based on the players, and mm-hmm. you roll bow plus one, change it to a weapon. Just f- flip that shit. Change it to a weapon that one of them can use. Mm-hmm. One thing that I like, yeah. um, a friend of mine actually came up with. So everybody gets two points. Two points. And that's something they have on their on their character sheet just written down somewhere. Whenever you roll in a random magic item chart, you roll, you get something you don't want, you get to mm-hmm. look at the chart, and you get to move one step per point you're willing to spend in either direction to get a different thing. Mm-hmm. Once you've used them, though, you don't get any more. Right. You just, you're just done. And anybody can spend the points on them because it's a group loot. So if somebody's like, holy shit, dude, if I can get that goddamn item, that will make my goddamn game. And then another dude's like, sure, man, I'll spend a point. Another dude sends, spends his point, and then he spends his last, and bam. You move up three spaces, they get the thing they wanted, and then they go. I think if you're running an old school style dungeon crawl sure. where everything is considered to be not based on the players, where mm-hmm. the players are just going to find random loot, the concept being mm-hmm. they're going to go into the dungeon, advance a few rooms, and then go back to town. Sure. And then they're going to come back where the dungeon itself is the campaign. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, I mean, you roll a bow and nobody can use it. They're just going to take it back and try and sell it or trade it sure. for other stuff. Right. And I also like it. Sometimes it's come up where... Uh, especially if you're not like a particularly invested kind of fighter mm. and you find like a really cool weapon that you would have never thought before that becomes your thing. Yeah. Like it's the, it's like the, Oh, my name is Drist and I happen to find really cool magic scimitars and I happen to use scimitars versus my name is like Cadabry and I found a bow that explodes things. I've never used a bow, but I'm, I'm going to learn how because I have an awesome bow. <laughs> I've seen that a lot in fifth edition games yeah. where someone will find an item and they're like, this item is so cool. I am going to now base the rest of my advancement towards learning how to use and, it and, and making it a thing. One of the mechanics in fighter training yeah. in 5e that I like is that the categories are broad. Like yeah. things like third and second to be like, I'm putting all of my points into one-handed axes and I have like seven mm-hmm. feats that make me good at those. You'll find a two-handed axe. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> Whereas in 5e it's like, oh, I'm good with a weapon in one hand yeah. and a shield in the sure. other. So it can be much broader category. Um, a side note, I, I really wish I had said this one instead of the Ultimate Alien Anthology, the other mm-hmm. one that I absolutely fucking love. Fiendish Codex 2. Mm-hmm for D&D 3.5, which was specifically about the uh, Nine Hells yeah. and the Tyrants of the Nine Hells. So... I have it on my desk at work. Unbelievably fun. Like, it's such a great environment. So, so the basic idea basically being that, that somebody dies, they go to hell, and then they strip the soul energy out of this this being. Mm-hmm. And then what's left is a Lemure, this this disgusting creature oh, that, barely, that barely functions. <laughs> and then it slowly rises in the ranks through savagery and murder and, and yep. excellence. And then you get, you're trying to become like a pit fiend and then demotion happens. So in the bureaucracy of hell, you can be demoted from pit fiend down to like spine devil or some shit. I love that. Yes. Uh, it's so good. Love and it. I loved that. And yeah. I like, it doesn't matter how 3.5 is for me now. I would sure. love picking up that book and just, just tearing through they it. They had some great splat books. Yeah. There was a feats book in three. It was actually, I think before three, five came. And I think it was either, it was either mongoose or green Ronin that just like cranked it out. And it was super generic. And like, 
it was like 600 feet. I had that book, yeah. The brown one, yeah, and there's yeah. a guy it on the cover with ultimate the Ultimate feats. Yeah. yeah. And like, some of them just fucking sucked, but there was so many that let you mm. like really find, because it was all about feats in third edition. Like it was. Like, it was a trap. What's that was how splat? you made. What's Splat? Splat is just a non-official add-on okay. stuff. It's not know? like an acronym I mean, or something. Okay. It might be. I, I've always used it without actually thinking about it. My knowledge of the term when I first saw it in use was in regards to World of Darkness. Mm -hmm. Specifically at that mm -hmm. time, World of Darkness was just churning out mm -hmm. supplements. Sure. And they were just like, splat, here's a new one. Splat, <laughs> here's a new one. It's and a it nice just, onomatopoeia. Yeah. Onomatopoeia. Yeah. Onomatopoeia. <laughs> That's a delicious onomatopoeia. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was one I love. And I'm sorry for like interjecting that. I wish I'd said that so that you could have said the, uh, the ultimate alien. No. Oh, no, I, I think it's delicious that we both had the same specific, and even you were like on yeah. that board, like it's you know what we're talking about. It's a good book. It's so good. I've used it for Star Wars D6. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ooh, I, that was actually where I first got mm -hmm. started on, on, D, on like Star Wars games yeah. and playing that. And then my friend being like, you should, you should try this. And I'm like, okay, this is better. <laughs> Does anyone have a preference of, let's say, talk about how we're saying like some systems are great and cool and give you a lot of details, but there's just things that they didn't really fill in the gaps on. Like there's still people who are like, you know what? How does movement really work in Palladium? Like, how does it really work? And of course, there's been versions and PDFs and things and updated books. But like, if you look at like the original ones, it was like, there's a lot of gaps in this. Yeah. And it, they're like, no, just figure, you're the DM. Tell the story. Yeah. So do you prefer when the DM has this kind of like uh, hierarchy of control? Or do you kind of like knowing being like the player who can be like, ah, ah page 379. <laughs> Jesus. Turns out it's this. So, so two prong thing here. One. There are games that leave things out, and there are other games that make things so esoteric and hard to understand or just unfun. Pathfinder. Um, uh, GURPS. <laughs> like, GURPS. Trying, like, I'm sitting there playing GURPS. No, don't get me wrong. I love Universal Systems, and I feel like GURPS has a great, like, air, like, air towards um, towards realism that I really enjoy. And their source books are amazing. Oh, it's amazing. But if I'm trying to figure out how to goddamn do something, I want to be able to just open the page, look at the thing, and say, right there. There it is. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's like this fucking nightmare, like, trying to understand how GURPS combat works is just I can't I can't and there's also you say some <laughs> games like leave it out there's there's this game left it out and this game fucking forgot to put it in like <laughs> those are very different game design aspects Palladium is the king of this yeah they, just yeah. leaving it out they frequently leave out entire sections of their books by accident they, mm -hmm. they leave out tables that they have to reprint in later books and say hey errat it in the back of book four hey this should have been in book three right like what the it's they left out Definitely. an entire page of the necromancer class from um, uh, Rifts Africa, I think, or one of the Rifts books had yeah. a necromancer. They left the whole freaking page out because Kevin <laughs> lays all of his books out by hand. And they reprinted the, the class later, but yeah. Even even reading some of the old ones when I was like getting pulled into it and being like, well, here, look at all this stuff you can like customize. I, I would be looking at the books and being like, this feels like backwards. <laughs> like, is this chapter in the right place? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they kind of have a history of uh, little oopsies. So give me something, a game concept, a, a style that you mm. want, that you've always wanted, and just don't know if there is a game or system out there that works for you, for what you're trying to play. There's a lot of systems out there. There really are. <laughs> Um, no, sorry, and, that, and that's what I'm doing here. So you know a lot of systems, and you do too. I'm figuring this is a good opportunity for us to think, okay, let's use these other people as a resource. What? How would you run this? So let, just, let me just throw one out there. How would you run a Hanna-Barbera-esque, old-school, super science, superhero, like, serial? How would you run that? Cartoon Action Hour. It's a game. It's on, uh, you can get it on drive-thru. 
yeah. action hour. Okay, yeah. tell me about cartoon action hour. It's it's just a, it's a very low focused one mm-hmm. of those um, highly targeted. This game does X. We don't really do anything outside of X. We just do X. You can do it. G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles, sure. any of that stuff. It's just a very simple, small dice game. And there was yeah. an older one too, Toon, wasn't it? Toon, was yeah. yeah. You could use Toon. I mean, it, it immediately turned gritty anytime <laughs> anyone did it. But it was kind of designed to be like, hey, you want to play in a cartoon world where like your abilities are like, I can stretch my arms out like a noodly boy. Uh, you can totally do that. Yeah. I like, um, that. I like I, that. Or, you know, something like... Uh, any of the powered by the apocalypse systems just mm-hmm. take that standard 2d6 and like you know roll two dice mm-hmm. you get a six or less you're fucked seven to nine you win some you lose some right. Ten plus everything is happiness in the world for you and just yep. go with that yeah. or even in the across the seas cartoons there's there's besom if you want to play the really weird fantasy game that's a an anime the mm. bit basm system oh, big eyes small, small mouth, mouth. Oh, where yeah, it's like okay. here's the rules for mobile suits here's the rules for angels and demons and here's the rules for magical unicorns that turn into high school girls interesting <laughs> yeah. okay not a good system i mean I, I respect that they designed it that way but like when i played it i did not have a good time and that's just me <laughs> that's my own personal reflection yeah like okay that, that's the thing is like how how do you make a system fit a narrative so, for example, I, I had a really hard time finding good horror systems. There's a lot out there, and I don't like any of them. None of them feel like horror. They feel like either, uh, they feel like cinematic, like way too cinematic, or they're way too crunchy. And they just, I, I want to find that nice balance of a good horror system wherein fear is built into the play. Have you played Dread? Dread is a game that, to me, is become my go-to horror game, especially because horror, I think, works best as a one-shot. Some people will disagree. Big agree for me. But I think, like, carrying the tension from session to session across weeks is difficult. Impossible. Yeah, so (laughs) Dread is great as a one-shot. Dread, its core mechanic is a Jenga tower. Whenever you want to do something in the game, the GM (laughs) says, that's going to be a pull, and you have to pull from the Jenga tower. That's what it's called. I couldn't remember the name of the game that used the Jenga tower. And when that tower falls... Your character is at some point, in some way, written out of the game. Maybe you die. Maybe you are grabbed and never seen again. I always like like horror games to be on a counter. Like something is clearly depleting. Or like a jump scare takes away a big chunk. Like things like that really add to the tension. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could see like maybe working in like like an hourglass. Like Mm -hmm. a nice big fat hourglass. You turn it over and it's like, when this runs out, someone dies. Mm -hmm. Dice stacking. Ooh, Ooh, build nice a little dice tower you when, when your stack falls. <laughs> I, I am very charmed by like physical stacky things or like mechanical representations of things happening in the game. Like Me when too. you when you run a trap and you actually have a hourglass, things like that. Mm. Love it. See, and that's the thing is like I like gimmicks as a concept, but it's the kind of thing that it's like I'm never going to run this more than once. I was like, I'm going to pick it up. Me and my friends are going to play it oh. once and that's it. I, I have such a hard time finding a way, a, a way to justify the expense of a system that isn't broad enough for me to kind of explore and do more weird, bizarre, interesting things with it. See, a system I've always wanted, you're like, and I'm sure there are games that could do it, and I'm, I've played some, and I could, like, rework it to be that, but I've always loved the idea of, like, in some sci-fi novels and things I've read, Eisenhorn and Ravenar and stuff, uh, there's these really long, elaborate battles between psychers, like the psychic mm. characters, where it's literally, like they're using their imagination at ultimate power to like manifest like things in this like mind realm mm. that are attacking each other. And like this turns into a net and wraps around and then it breaks free by turning it and it breaks free by, <laughs> I got a little excited about psychic energy there. But, like then I turn into like little tiny worms and it slithers mm. out of the net. Like, and you could do that with just like a narrative dice system sure. where you like roll and be like, okay, so I got three successes and I have one damage, but it's like, 
I, I in some way want your creativity to reflect more in just than mm. like reading the bones. But some people are very But it's creative. it's impossible. Oh, I know. <laughs> and that's why like I would love to play that kind of character because it'd be like me versus you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a proposal for a way to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, it would involve me tooting my own horn a little bit. I think that's why we're toot here. Toot away. Okay. So Let me sniff I, that toot. <laughs> I'm fond of playing cards in Overdice. I mm-hmm. love games that use playing cards mm. uh, either as an added component or as the whole mechanic mm. and i've written two games that do this one was kind of my first published game which i don't really promote much anymore because i went way overboard with the text but mm. it's called cannibal contagion and it's just a game of play a card say a thing the next person has to play a card and that thing has to be cooler than the last thing that was said nice. okay and it's a zombie survival it's a lot of fun but the, my my pride and joy is when i wrote called Moto Bushido, mm. which I wrote to specifically be a game of Chanbara dueling. Mm-hmm. It has two mechanics, both of which are focused entirely on the concept of the back and forth duel. Mm-hmm. The first stage is where you're positioning, you're staring at each other, your eyes are locked, you raise your eyebrow, you shout insults, you thumb the catcher in your sword mm-hmm. until someone begins the actual fight then you clash then you swing around then you try and hurt each other until finally someone goes for the killing blow Mm -hmm. but each back and forth of card play in that builds up a combo that requires that kind of narration Mm -hmm. okay so if you're going to play you have to say how what you are doing is either blocking or countering what they're doing and you can keep it, if, if your group wants something simple and classic, you kind of keep it focused on the swords. But if, whatever, if your game has magical elements, then yeah, my I swing my sword and snakes fly through the air, totally. clinging around you and pulling you to the I ground. Could, I can see that working yeah. out. It sounds pretty interesting. Interesting. And I know this is like a big throwback, but I just want to add it in because when I was talking about Numenera, I feel like it's a, one thing I didn't mention is that the DM never rolls a single dice. No shit. I love that. Everything is just yeah. the players rolling a d20, and it's like, okay, they're coming at you, and they have, like, the, the difficulty for this enemy is eight, so you have an eight coming at you. It's like, you can either dodge, <laughs> or you can take the hit, or you fail the roll and take the damage. Yeah. It's all players rolling. Mm-hmm. DM just sits there, hands behind the head, looking at the books, <laughs> and issuing out the preset numbers, which I think is pretty cool. I like that. I, I, but though, I mean, to be fair, there is always that fun of the tension in people's faces when, oh, for yeah. no reason, the GM suddenly rolls something, and everyone's like... <laughs> but you know me, I'm not a screen boy. Like now. Yeah, I like screens for the information they present, mm. but even when I use a screen, I have a dice bowl and I set it in the middle of the table and mm. I let everyone see my dice. Oh sure, and yeah. I'm not even necessarily talking about hiding the dice, yeah. but like when when somebody when somebody walks yeah. into a room and you grab a die and everyone's like, <laughs> "Wait, why?" There's I think there's a dynamic that isn't yeah. used enough, which is the DM bluff. Oh yeah. Like it's uh, I'm going to go into the Pokemon VGC for just a second. Are you like, sure okay. you want to do that? <laughs> where it's literally like where you're putting something out just to bluff them. Yeah. Like you want to force a switch or, or bait, mm. bait in a certain one, but you're it right. means nothing. Like I, as the DM, like if you want to add tension to your dungeon, just occasionally drop a die, even if nothing's happening. <laughs> just look, look somebody in the eye and be like, uh, what's your perception? Yeah. <laughs> Write things down. Are you sure you want to open the door? Uh, yeah. You reach forward. You open the door. <laughs> Nothing happens. There's a room beyond. Or you like a roll forty six and be like, you take a breath of fresh air. <laughs> you... <laughs> I love it. Oh, I gotta use that. <laughs> you take a breath of fresh air. I feel like I always tend to prefer games where the where the players are rewarded for doing what the GM wants them to do and not in an unfair or unreasonable way. And totally. how 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 do you 
work into the mechanics ways to reward players for following story, for sticking to uh, a consistent path, or at least just maybe playing their character well. I was going to bring that up because some people, when they see in a system that this class has certain archetypes attached to it that are almost mm-hmm. like a mandatory, mm-hmm. uh, it's a big turnoff because it makes them lose the illusion of being able to be like, well, I really want to be like a well-read barbarian. Like, I want right. to just be a super historian. Um and there are always the, the subtext that's like, but you can change this if you want to. But having these archetypes, it's important as a writer of any kind of story or, you know, movie, film, script, play mm-hmm. to be like, well, this is the this is the dumb character that's going to say the things and cause the trouble, the troublemaker, the the problem solver, the leader. And, mm-hmm. and having minor things in your system that kind of encourage these things is really helpful to making the story happen naturally. I don't right. think you should like be locked into anything, but being like, this is the role for this class and it can really help navigate the characters as a group and in a story it just it's a guideline you know i think the best example of a game that i have seen that that does that that mm-hmm. builds the game's themes and rewards you for playing those themes it rewards you for playing your character the way your character was meant to be played kind of mm-hmm. thing is burning wheel mm-hmm. in yeah. burning wheel you uh, it all comes down to two major aspects of your character there's what are called beliefs mm-hmm. which to me as a player are the hardest things to come up with because you can go through all the numbers and you finally get to the end of the point of character creation you're like i gotta build my beliefs crap you gotta mm. write down three actionable statements of things that you believe in sure and then you have things called instincts which are three actionable statements of things i just always do mm-hmm. it, it, and an instinct is your way as a player of telling the gm this is a scripted action this is like whatever it could be like always have one cigarette on me right the gm can never Absolutely. take that cigarette away unless it's a tense situation or you choose to yes and that's why i think yeah. doing a dog's game like creating the character was some of the most fun i've ever had making a character yeah but then you could have something like i always draw my sword when i pr- when i sense danger okay well now let's take that and turn it into a way to reward your character. Mm-hmm. When you use your pre-written instincts to get yourself in trouble, mm-hmm. like normally they're there to help you. Normally they're there like, I always have my sword on me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what if we activate this instinct at a situation where you don't, you shouldn't have your sword or where drawing right. your sword is a bad idea? Like Do you go with it? Yeah. Well, you're like, yes, I go with it. And your instinct gets you in trouble. That gives you this these access to special pools that you can use mm-hmm. to then play on your beliefs and then advance your character. That does happen a lot in Fate. There's a big deal yeah. about being yeah. able to like, compel other people's mm-hmm. aspects and kind of hurt them in a, to a degree. And I've always liked the idea that a player can hurt another player in a way that's not direct. No no Definitely. stupid ass, like, I'm going to rob the other players kind of stuff. More of a, hey, 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 hold on. You have uh, you have manners of a goat. No, he's, he's going he's gonna to say this thing and then just drop the fucking point. The best part is it's you want that to happen. Oh, yeah. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's... It's scripted as an option, yeah. as, as a, an appealing thing. Mm-hmm. A player says, hey, you have that thing that says you're going to draw your sword when you're in danger. Mm. I'm going to give you a point, and I think yeah. you should use that. I yeah. love it. And yeah. like you're rewarding people for being like, oh, you did the dumb thing that everyone knew you were going to do? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but And there's a new system that just came out. I only saw it because it was on a list of like top new systems from 2019 called Blades in the Night, I think it's called. Blades mm. in the Dark. Blades in the Dark. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And it does very much that your archetype, when you play to it, that's how you get like new rewards and experiences. Like mm-hmm. if you're the leech, which I think they called it, which is like the mechanic. Okay, so I think it's like, it said it was late 19th century historic fantasy sure um 
And but if you're playing like the leash or a mechanic, if you solve your problems using mechanical gizmos and things like that, that's how you unlock character progression stuff. Like mm. that's how you're rewarded with the experience and stuff. Every time you're like a, a, a rough or whatever, and you solve your problems using violence, it's in your favor. Hmm. Like it gives you mechanical rewards in the game. So opposite of that, how do you encourage through mechanics the the thing that I love, which is playing against type? Someone who, like you said, the barbarian who wants to be well-read, the 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 half orc totally. who's like a, dip, a diplomat. You know, how do you how do you find ways to reward that in a way that doesn't feel like I don't know, like it's gonna t- take away from archetype, you know, play. See, that's what I liked about backgrounds in Five E because it gives you a thing. Each background has an ability that you get that doesn't change your game mechanics. It's mm. literally just a storytelling card that you can play. True. It's like, oh, I'm a I'm a member of this church. If I go to a town and I show up this church, they will help me out. Sure. Kind of thing. Or and it, it gives you free skills. So it's like, yeah, I'm a barbarian, but I have knowledge history. I was mm. raised by a librarian. Like, so uh, just for free, regardless of my class, I'm going to get this because it's my background. And if I go to a library, I know how the Dewey Decimal System works. <laughs> I think the old school, early versions of D&D were kind of built around that being expected mm-hmm. with the roll 3d6 down the line, place yeah, you them in order, they... and then divine your character from there. Because mm-hmm. it was the game where you would sit down and you didn't know what character you're going to be playing. Therefore, sure. the right. divination process could just, just roll in those dice and placing them and seeing, you know, this guy could be... Okay, he, he's got a 9 in strength, but he's got a 17 in charisma. He could be a pretty charming fighter because there was nothing in old school D&D that favored charisma. Mm. But he could be a leader because, oh yeah, fighters get leadership bonuses at ninth level. And I feel that that, like just right there at its roots, like the divination process of mm-hmm. character creation versus the custom build process, mm-hmm. I think can lead to that just being right there at the beginning. And there's a degree of fun to be like, I have a character that I have in my mind I want to create versus the, I'm going to show up and figure out what I'm playing because that's how the dice fall. Mm. Um, But also some of the old ones were really restrictive too because it's like, well, regardless of what you roll, you're probably not going to be a ranger or paladin (laughs) because you got to fucking kill it. 17s and everything. So one thing that I've always liked is the idea of set bonuses. You You wear all the pieces of the same kind of armor in a game and it gives you a little extra boost. I also like the idea of rewarding playing things that are synergetic in a way that isn't direct. So, for example, maybe you wear you wear all of the the full set of the moth, and it gives you a, it gives you a flying ability. But alternatively, if you wear a full set of things that look really badass or just like are interesting, giving a reward for cro- effectively cross classing or mm. playing against type, finding ways to balance those two. So it's like, okay, yes, if you play according to the archetype, here's your bonuses. If you play against the archetype. Here's your bonus. I thought you were going to say really like, rules of cool. Like your armor looks so oh, sick mean... that you have a bonus to diplomacy because <laughs> oh, everyone's sure. like, this fucker has a rad. <laughs> but no, like, I mean, so like, let's say, you, okay, you play a barbarian and you play him according to type. Your bonuses are going to be barbarian related. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you find a way to say, okay, you're playing a barbarian against type. Maybe you're not very strong. Maybe you're dex barbarian or mm-hmm. something like that. And then you're going to reward that through something that isn't going to reward a barbarian's play style, but would reward a general play style or maybe specific to that odd kind of play yeah, totally. And I think that's why having strengths for each, like each stat is good at something like whatever mm. class you are. Like if you're super good at that stat, you're good at the stuff from that stat. Sure. Like it doesn't matter if you're a rogue with a really high strength. Now you're good at athletics. Like mm. you're super good at punching people because you're a strong <laughs> rogue. Like let the stat speak for itself. 
No, I, I mean, there's nothing better than than uh, when people have these expectations of your character, and then you just suddenly whip them out, and and, and everybody's right. like, "Holy shit, what?" No, <laughs> like like I I played a I played a wizard. He was just a wizard, but I played him like a rogue. I built him like a rogue. All of his spells were rogue related, and I always made everything subtle, so nobody could tell right away that I was using magic. And then out of nowhere, when I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna summon an unseen servant," everybody's like, "Wait, you're a wizard?" <laughs> like. Yep. I did the exact opposite with a rogue that was pretending to be a wizard. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I've seen both. They're really fun. Or like yeah. the the unexpected thing where it's like everyone in the party's like, oh, shit, does anyone speak draconic? And then like from the back of the group, like the barbarian just like slowly raises his hand. <laughs> well, it turns out he was raised by a dragonborn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? So what changes would you personally like hope to see in the industry of gaming in the next 10 years, whether it be like social, technological, like what are things, what's a direction that things could go that you'd get excited about? It would be social. I want to see more inclusivity at gaming tables, and I want to see more gaming forums with better moderation and people mm-hmm. that are like ready to step up and kick out bad actors. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to see more people paying attention to what's being said, kind of stuff, and 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 actually encourage open communication among groups. Mm. So reduction in toxicity. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a I still encounter so much toxicity, even at pickup games, at conventions, at just just the ways that people are treating each other and what is supposed to be a fun hobby. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Moderating a page that has 600,000 followers in D&D, you see some just like the most revolting shit. And yeah. not enough of the other people moderating are, they're too scared of the ban hammer. Like, just kick them the fuck out. Who wants them here? I don't yeah. want to run the gaming equivalent of the YouTube comment section. Right. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, totally. What about you? Me? No one's turned it around on us before. Uh, That's a big part of it. Like I was saying, like uh, giving up your spot at the table for other people, trying to add inclusivity to the game. It's that's a direction I'd like to see. Also, like in technology and stuff, I'm excited for more like Star Wars chessboard 3D miniature potential stuff. (laughs) I think that would be really cool. For me, I feel like all the changes that I want to see are happening. They're happening right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like right now we're in a good silver age of, of role-playing games. They're, they're hitting the mainstream with Critical Role, with uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, with all these mm-hmm. big names getting out there, people seeing it uh, as, as a legitimate pastime and a way to spend your time and, and enjoy it with, with friends and loved ones. I mean, I just recently heard that a friend of mine who's never really been that big into D&D has been running a game for his wife and daughters. Awesome. And they are super sweet and it's super nice and apparently these little girls, these beautiful little children, these little angels are fucking murder hobos and it's fucking beautiful and i just i like that that i like that that's a thing and i don't i don't subscribe to the idea that this shit needs to be for geeks only let's no. get it out there let's get people playing it's like a corporate thing too now like this tuesday i'm getting paid to dm for an airbnb office group like it's just like this is their staff building okay, like their team, their team building exercise awesome. yeah, yeah you uh, i mean it's through works orcs orcs okay. so going to outsource but okay. it's it's going to be for like just business people and like who've never played D. this is their team building exercise and they're they're so excited that's super cool yeah. no and there's nothing better than taking somebody who never thought they would love something like this and we're just slapping them in the face with it and they mm-hmm. suddenly realize this is all i want to do with my free time like what do i do now <laughs> Yep, it's a, the, the fortitude save bite. Yeah, right go. back to that con save. So I got a question for you. Um, it's a dumb one. What is your class and race if you were if you were a character in D anD? I've never found the class system to be that evocative of, of my take on reality. But if I had to pick, lawful good human wizard. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm yeah. always curious as what other people see. Like, how do you? What do you think he would be? Oh, I've only just met him. 
When I play, I usually default to awful good human fighter. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... Th- I'm not a fighter in reality. Yeah. Oddly yeah. enough, I see you as a half-orc sorcerer. <laughs> no, seriously. I, oh, I, I forget sorcerers exist. <laughs> I see I see chaotic good half-orc sorcerer. I, you, you might not actually even be the first person to say that to me. No, no, uh, no. You've got, you've got that kind of like uh, the, 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 that, yeah. that strong masculine gruffness that, 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 that you kind of identify inherently with orcs. This kind of you know, strong presence, but that, that boisterous jovialness, that, that almost, almost savageness to it. And I figure, I mean, what, you're a biker. You got all this, these connections, these, these uh, interla- interlocking things. That's, that's what I see a lot of. Fun fact, I used to be a drag queen. <laughs> nice, nice. So that's oh my God. It's an interesting transformation of, Do you ever of really me stop, through the though? ages. I mean, I've got this fabulous nail polish. But I was commenting, I wish I had it. I won't be happy until I run a game with a half-orc drag queen in it. That's going to happen. That's going to happen now. You know. That's happening. Be the drag queen you want to see in the world. I would. <laughs> Seriously, if I wasn't a chef, I would be painting my nails. Like, I just don't like the idea of flaking near my food. That's absolutely yeah. that's fair. What, that's what uh, you know, rubber gloves are for. I yeah. can't, Those can't do good knife, knife skill with rubber yeah. gloves on. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, play those kind of characters. It's fun. Learn about the culture. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. I'm way into it. Cool. So give, give, us a, give us a bit of a plug. Just go ahead yeah, and just toot your own horn. All right. Uh, thank you. I, again, I'm Nathaniel Cole, or I go by NPC online. Those are, yes, my actual initials. Uh, I run a podcasting company we call Breakfast Puppies, named mm-hmm, after my mm-hmm. two favorite things in the world. Sure. <laughs> and we do a number of geeky podcasts. Uh, the the biggest one that we're I'm promoting right now is the Hammer Crawl podcast, which mm-hmm. is 100% procedurally generated dungeon crawl comedy. And that one has been a lot of fun. Uh, there's, oh God, we've got... I would love to get the League of Ultimate Questing players onto the Hammercraw podcast and see how they, those characters remade in classic system, survive mm. a dungeon. They wouldn't. <laughs> I, am one, I am 100% receptive to that. They are dead yeah. neat. But yeah, I've got a few <laughs> games I've put out there. Moda Bushido, Cannibal Contagion, and one mm. that I really need to finish writing called Gatai Bushido, which is taking the Moda Bushido concept of the, the back and forth escalating tension of duels mm-hmm. and applying it to giant robots that transform and connect to each other uh, yes please that's yeah. excellent <laughs> that's beautiful awesome kind of a voltron fan <laughs> no I, I i get it um so yeah. uh if you guys enjoyed d20 questions so far uh we strongly recommend you check out our other content uh you can go to slapdashstudios.com where you can find league of ultimate questing a world where adventuring is a major league sport and we have commentators and fake commercials and it's absolutely fantastic and we're growing every single day and we do really appreciate your support with that. If you love this or or look at Questing or you heard about it through that, uh, just go ahead and leave us a review. You know, give us some comments. Reach out to us on social media, and please retweet us because these things do so much to help. And you you might not realize how helpful they are, but they really are. Atium needs your help. <laughs> and if you happen to be on social media by the time this comes out, there will still be about a week left to get on the Twitter contest we are doing. A few days anyway. All you have to do is like it, share it, and tag a friend. Uh, you can win up to $100 worth of cool gaming stuff made by Gaming Gear uh, and Item Woodworks. Some really awesome aluminum dice that are gorgeous that I have blessed with DM Luck. Um, <laughs> How have you blessed them? I had to sanitize them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. Um, and, uh, you know, in general, we've got a lot of content coming out. Uh, we've got our Patreon that just launched. And if you guys like our work and you want to see more of it, honestly, we would love to see ourselves get to the point where we don't need to do advertisements or anything like that, where we can just have completely user-supported content. That mm-hmm. would be fantastic. 
Um, but if you want to find us there, it's uh, patreon.com slash slapdash studios. Um, on Facebook, we're, face- we're slapdash studios. Uh, that's just as easy to find. Yep. Um, Twitter and Instagram, we're at slap the dash. So that's easy to find. All the buttons are right on the front of the LUQ.com and slapdash studios.com. Mm-hmm. We just got a brand new website, so feel free to check that out. And uh, especially for this podcast, D20 Questions, because it's a brand new special little baby, uh, we could definitely use as much support as possible. So please, please, please go out there and share it with your friends. And if you are a gaming mogul in the Portland area and are interested in potentially being a guest on future D20 Questions, please send us an email at admin at slapdashstudios.com. We'd love to potentially talk about it and figure out if we can get you on the schedule. Yeah, business owners, uh, podcasters, or just people who've been in the community for so long that they've made a name for themselves, please just reach out and let us know. Um, but I definitely want to thank MPC for being here today. He was absolutely fantastic and even let us use his studio for recording. Which yeah, cool-ass room. Which is way better than what we've been doing lately. Um, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Your apartment sucks, Law. <laughs> I have had a lot of fun today. Thank you. I'm glad. I well, was excited to talk about something besides 5e for a little bit. That'd be great. Yeah, I, I, I think we, it's good if we have that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But I want to thank you guys again for tuning into D20 Questions. Uh, tune in next week where we discuss the ultimate Tinder treasure, the plus five pork sword of recall. Oh.